You know, I'm not sure if I can really call myself a TMNT fan. I mean, I kind of am, you know? And there's quite a few TMNT things I've enjoyed over the years. This movie, for example. Also, the crossover film that happened several years ago, which I highly recommend you watch if you have never done so. Uh, some of the show has been enjoyable. I like quite a few of the games. This film didn't hold up as well as I'd like, which is funny, because it was also better than I remembered. This is based primarily on the comics, and the co I think that's one of the reasons why there was a little bit of a disconnect with this one, because while there is definitely some cartoony elements and some zany, wacky scenes, complete with cartoonish sound effects and music, the fact is the overall plot and story approach is much darker, and, and I don't just mean the lighting effects. This is also... Pretty impressive for the time. This came out in, uh, let's see, 1990. And, <clears throat> well, the effects hold up way better than they have any right to. And I was a little bit surprised by that. So I decided to look into it just a little bit. Did you know Henson worked on this? It's not even listed on his own page in Wikipedia, but I did a little digging and I found, uh, effectively, he had owed a favor to... Uh, Baron, Steve Baron, the guy who directed this, and wanted to go ahead and you know do this as a favor to him. And even though he didn't like the overall idea, he also liked the idea of pushing the tech. So, violence sucks, but being able to push animatronics to the next level is awesome. And I do mean pushing it to the next level. This film had surprisingly good animatronics, with, I believe, a total of three people on any given turtle for any given scene. There's the person in the suit, there's the person controlling part of the uh, animatronics, and then there's the person, like, supervising and making sure the two are connected to each other. It works really well. Definite props to them for making the turtles do seem a lot better than they should. There's a few scenes that don't work, but in terms of the effects, I could buy it a lot better than I couldn't. And they actually bothered to make several of the fight scenes actually look pretty legit. They had to use a lot of cuts, because of course they did, but then they bothered to try and show... I don't want to call them long shots, but there are several extended shots where, you know, we see 20 or 30 seconds uninterrupted of them just doing their moves. So credit where credit is due. This is also done by New Line. <laughs> You're probably thinking, well, yeah. Historically speaking, it's worth noting New Line was kind of one of those dinky little studios back at this point in time. In fact, they only had one financial success prior to this. Nightmare on Elm Street. This is actually funny, given the history of New Line, which I will not recount here. If you're curious, you can look it up on your own. All I'm going to say right now is that they kind of went from being nobody's to success to nobody's to success to nobody's success, and then they got bought out three times. That's the summary. By the way, I mentioned Steve Barron earlier. Uh, you might know him as the guy who directed Coneheads, the movie, which admittedly I haven't seen since the, the 90s, so I don't actually remember all that much about it. But he's probably more well-known for doing his directing on Africa. No, not a film. It's a music video for the song. That's him. He also did camera work on A Bridge Too Far. And I believe that. He does some good camera work in this film. He actually... They pull a lot of tricks to minimize how much of the turtles they have to show. Which is good, because A, obviously it keeps expenses down and makes things seem more believable or realistic. Even towards the end of the fight, they do a big thing where steam gusts in, and then and then it goes out, and then they've won. But that's important because they don't completely skimp out. This isn't Transformers 1, 
that is to say the Michael Bay version, where all of the fights happen just off camera. Because there are fights that happen on camera. It's just, it spaces them out some more, which not only makes them have more impact, but obviously makes it seem more believable, realistic, and saves on the all-important budget. <sighs> One of the things that I was surprised by, I didn't know this at the time, uh, when these films were coming out. I've, I actually saw all three TMNT original live-action films in the theaters. <laughs> One I liked, as I think I've already mentioned. Two... Eh, two is uh, enjoyable. You know, me and my friend made fun of it a lot. And three... Three... But I bring all this up because... Do you remember two? Seriously, Secret of the Use... It's way more comical, way more ridiculous, and most of the fight scenes are actually just, you know, slapstick stunts rather than fights. Now, that's fine. It's just the tone the work is going for. But when I say this, I didn't even real realize this until I was researching for this film. They barely even bring out their weapons. They're mostly just holstered throughout the second film. Why? Because there were substantial complaints from several special interest groups and, of course, from Jim Henson himself, that this film was too violent. I'm not sure what to make of that. Anyways, I do have one other tidbit to tell you before we start talking about the film proper. This film made $188.5 million net. That's huge. It's a lot, like several of the other successful blockbusters we've been talking about this year have made less than that and were considered successes. This guy, this was a record breaker. No, it really was. This was the best-selling independent film for nine years. It took Blair Witch Project, he unsurped, usurped this one in 1999. This is pretty impressive. But let's jump into the film proper, shall we? So we see a new, we hear a news report which is amazingly unnecessary, as so much of narration is. I hate to start to sound like I'm sounding like CinemaSins, but the harsh truth is I'm fine with narration when it serves a purpose. Um, apocalypse Now, you know? What I don't like is when they're narrating what we're seeing on the screen. They do some clever stuff. Uh, the guy who's reading the paper, it mentioned crime waves. And even if you don't read as fast as I do, or have a pause button, you can see crime spree. And then his po pocket is picked. Okay, there we go. Good exposition right off the bat. We can see just how bad things are getting. Then there's a scene with the truck. This is actually a personal favorite of mine. They apparently managed this in only a couple of takes, if you can believe it. The guy's like, so we've got the back of the truck, and the truck looks absolutely crammed. It's not. If you pay attention, again, pause feature, you'll notice that there's basically just one like a uh, wall of boxes and it's really obvious if you look at it carefully that there's nothing behind them but it looks like the truck is full especially at a glance so then the camera moves to the point just far enough so you can't see the truck anymore and then people rush on and quickly quickly grab all the, tr the boxes off as quickly as they possibly can and then just fling them off the camera so that when he comes back what he sees is an empty truck this is a trick this film employs a lot. It uses clever camera usage and editing in order to try and make it make them basically superhuman. Let's just call it what it is, because there's a certain point at which physics starts to get in the way. Like later in the film, when the turtles are all hiding from Charles and Danny, and they manage feats of literally superhuman quickness. And the explanation given is ninja, right? I'm okay with that, though. 
because it's part of the kitsch. I mean, for God's sakes, there's talking turtles, a talking rat, and a guy who has a vendetta with both. Come on. So I'm with it. And they use some clever tricks to make it believable. Like I said, the visual effects of this film and the camera work are surprisingly good. Then we find out that Shredder's overall plan is to have an organized crime network consisting of teenagers. You know, that sounds like a great idea until you realize how stupid it is. <laughs> but I want to talk more about that later. So let's let's just let's put a pin in that. There we go. Get my sigh ready. They use a lot of black. They use a lot of lighting to cover the effects. I've kind of already mentioned that. This is the Henson thing where I mentioned. Um, several of the actors who are in the suits actually show up. In fact, all four of the Turtles actors show up throughout the film. The only one I know of personally, and the one who has the most amusing scene, is the pizza guy, the Domino's dude, right? That's actually Michelangelo's uh, guy in the suit. I don't want to say actor, but part of the actor? It's like the Darth Vader thing. You got the guy in the suit, and you got the guy in the voice. And they do that with most of these. Hell, they even do that with uh, the Shredder and Tatsu, for God's sakes. But anyways. Um, so Michelangelo's actor plays the Domino's guy. And this is a good time to mention. Domino's, uh, Burger King, a few other groups uh, all got you know sponsorship deals, which helped to get the film made. This was, after all... Uh, what was it, 13.5 million budget, which was pretty damned big, especially for an independent film. Uh, the funny thing, though, is I've talked a lot this year. We're almost at the end of the year now. I've talked a lot this year about the significance and relevance of marketing when it comes to whether or not a film does well. This film was extremely well marketed. Ignoring the fact that New Line threw themselves into it, they got help from, of all places, Pizza Hut. Not Domino's, the guys who paid to be in it. Pizza Hut. Do you remember that ad campaign? Because I actually do. In fact, I actually participated in it. They had the whole Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pizza thing from Pizza Hut. I can even tell you, well, I don't know if it's still there, but if you give me a few minutes on Google Maps, I can find out if the Pizza Hut where my mom and I went to prior to going to this film is still there. God, that's a weirdly fond memory. You'd think it wouldn't be a big deal going to pizza with your mom before going to watch a movie, but... Damn, that hit me. That was a long time ago. Sorry. Um, so, we uh, we have the Raph, Raphael versus Leo thing, because we've got to... Because I think it's contractually obligated that every single Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles work has to have Raphael and Leonardo fighting and butting heads. No, seriously, have you ever noticed how common of a thread that is in almost every single TMNT thing ever? <laughs> um, we also have the fight between Jones and Raphael. You know... I'd make fun, because people in New York are just kind of shrugging and ignoring a giant turtle in a suit. And Jones himself is just blasé about the whole thing. Then I remember Fight Club. You remember Fight Club? It's a decent film. I, I mean, I didn't like it, but it's a great film. It's a film in which one of the key things that led to the creation of the film was the writer commenting on how he came to office one day, severely wounded, you know, injury, black eye, blood. No one commented on it. Right? Just keep your head down. Don't comment. Don't notice. And I point this out because even though this is clearly being done because cartoon, I believe it. Now, 
I would believe it back in, say, the 90s. Nowadays, we have something that completely changes the dynamic. It's this thing. Chkunk. Twitter post. Hey, look at this weirdo. And then it spreads, and then it spreads. We didn't have that back in the 90s, so... Anyways. <clears throat> so Splinter has a really good scene after this. Almost all the Splinter scenes are actually just spot on. There's only one that made me roll my eyes in the entire film. Splinter pulls Raphael aside. And he talks through him. And his, his word choice is a little unusual. But what he says is, You are angry. That's okay. It's what you do about that anger that matters. I'm not going to tell you to stop being angry. That would be stupid. What I am going to tell you is that we're here for you. Just supportive. He's just straight up supportive of his son who's going through troubles. This is, it's extremely obvious to anybody who's seen this film. This is the central theme of the film. Uh, fatherhood and family. Splinter is the good father. Shredder is the horrifically horrible father. Charles is the typical father which also lands him in the not-good category. Unfortunately, the film really tries to bring in Danny to be one of the central points of the whole film's thing. I'm not sure why. He's utterly unnecessary for it. He doesn't add any insights to it. He's just another reflection on both the Splinter and the Shredder's overall mentality when it comes to family and taking care of their children. So he's just kind of there to be a plot coupon. Several times, I might add. He's the one who sells out uh, the, oh my god, April's, April's apartment, April's condo. And then he's the one who ends up getting Casey to the place, which also ends up saving Splinter. And then he gets him back there, and it's just, okay, Danny, why are you in this film again? I'm sorry. Probably one of my least favorite parts of the film is Danny and his entire inclusion, because it just seems so ancillary. But I'm getting off topic. Shredder is in the shadows almost every time we see him probably a good thing. His outfit looks kind of ridiculous. Using that lighting, it's a good move. Oh, by the way, do you notice Sam Rockwell's in this film? I'm sure everyone in the world has pointed this out. How many of you know that this was his fourth or fifth, I'm not sure which because of filming dates, fourth or fifth role ever in anything? You know who he's credited as? Head Thug. He doesn't even have a name. This was, in fact, his second film of all time. God, that's just early on, isn't it? It's always weird. Like, we covered uh, Michael Dorn earlier, too. It's just weird seeing some of these guys. Anyways, <clears throat> so, the foot soldiers follow Raphael uh, as he takes the injured April back to his base. Okay, cool. And then we have some whimsy music because we've got to have, you know, the, the cartoony section of the film. I will give the film this. It's easy to forget it, at least for me, but these are teenagers. They're 15 years old. You remember what you were like when you were 15? So Splinter saying we should meditate and them bouncing around and dancing. Okay. Them being obsessed with pop culture and pizza. Okay. I gotta be real. I wish I was this well behaved when I was 15. Okay, that's a lie. I was actually pretty well-behaved when I was 15. But the point is, I know people who wish they were this well-behaved. Shut up! Shut up! I was a geek, okay? What do you want from me? Uh, anyways. 
right about this point in my life, I was actually reached out to by the art department in my high school. It just occurred to me. That would have been that year. And they were awesome. I've talked about that before. They gave me a scholarship and everything. And they invented a class so I could keep taking art classes. God, I miss them. They were great people. Anyways, <clears throat> so... I just keep talking about my past today. I do apologize. It, it, it's kind of nostalgic. What do you want from me? I mean, that's the film in a nutshell, right? It can't possibly be a good film now, right? I hope it's been obvious now. I, I know this is a weird way to talk about it, but it, we're almost at the end here. We've only got, uh, looks like, one other film after this for the year. So the next film I cover should actually be the final film for 2021. If I, I haven't actually 100% set up my schedule yet, but that's roughly the order. But I hope it's been obvious as I've been going through here. We had Rocky, Apocalypse Now, Alien, Back to the Future, Transformers, the original, Bat Princess Bride, Robocop, this, and we're covering Nightmare Before Christmas next. This, this is, I'm not doing this because nostalgia. I'm not grouping these up because of that. But I'm trying to showcase that it's entirely feasible and possible to have older films which, A, stand the test of time, and B, are considered classics for a frickin' reason. This is the exact same mentality I push constantly over in my streams. But, of course, if you're watching this, you are, statistically speaking, not one of my stream viewers. Hence why I'm giving this little speech right now. Age doesn't matter when it comes to a fictional work. What matters is how good it is. It doesn't matter if it's a modern game or a modern film. It doesn't matter if it's one from the 60s or the 30s or the 80s or the 90s or the aughts or whatever. The actual time can only affect the tech availability. What matters is how good the work is. Which brings me neatly to this film, which is not that great. <clears throat> I will have to say, though, uh, Judith uh, Haug, I don't actually know how to pronounce her name, does her best here. But, God, the fake laughter scene is just, as, as Michelangelo is just doing impressions, is just eyeball rolling. It's like, okay, whatever. And I suppose you could say, well, Lore, you're an adult now, and that's the problem. I have a sense of humor. Thank you very much. A horse walks into the bar. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to actually do the whole gag. But the point I'm trying to make is that the whimsical humorous sections kind of fall flat for the most part. The one part that I do think ages has aged pretty well and actually works is the... Mm, let's call it the chemistry between Michelangelo and Donatello. The two of them almost universally form the jokesters. And they, they just kind of bounce off each other rather neatly. Fight. Fight. Kitchen. Kitchen. And there's just a bunch of scenes as the two are debating. They even debate uh, what kind of catchphrase they should use as they're defeating people for God's sakes. That works for me, and it does a decent job. But then there's a lot of other stuff which feels way more forced. It's a shame because the lighthearted ha-ha they're having fun with April scene is absolutely mandatory. Not only does it establish a rapport between April and the Turtles, but they have to be away so Splinter can get attacked. And, most importantly of all, we need a levity moment before the dark moment. So it is mandatory, it just sucks. In my opinion, obviously. <clears throat> As always, something being older is also not an excuse. So, we then cut to... Uh, the, they're playing dark. Um, we cut to the Fight Club. Now, I, I didn't actually mean to say that just now, but that is what I have written in my notes. You can Anything you can do, whatever you want to do, anything you can do, you can do it. Okay, that's a dumb line and should have be ejected from the film entirely. You know what this is? It's a club. 
It's a straight-up club. If you replaced all the teenagers with adults, nothing would change. They're playing poker. They got music going. A few people on the machines. A few people on the roulette wheel. Some people just hanging out, smoking, chatting, probably drinking. That's that's it. It's a club. It's a club. It's a completely bog standard club. The only thing that makes it unusual is that it's a bunch of kids. That got me thinking, though. It's a place where you're allowed to kind of stretch and do things that you are told you are not allowed to do. So that kind of freedom is appealing, especially to a rebellious mind. Then, almost immediately after this, we see where they are training. They're trying to fight and teach people how to, you know, how to do ninjutsu, basically, the, the specific craft that, uh, I forget if they actually name it, but the, the craft that the Shredder actually uses. By the way, Tatsu is voiced by Michael McConaughey. It's one of his earliest roles ever. Th think about it. Listen to it next time you play this, or play this game. Play this movie. You'll hear, you'll hear it. Anyways, so, uh, it, it, it's a cult. I'm just going to fast forward, okay? Just like in Fight Club, spoilers, it's a freaking cult. It's not as bad. In fact, frankly, it's not as well portrayed as the cult was in Fight Club. But that's because Fight Club is a horrifically bleak and serious examination of psychological horror. This is not. But that is still what the Shredder's doing. He has established this whole ceremony. He's built himself up to be this revered figure. He wears a cape, for God's sakes. And his number one guy actually removes the cape in order to reveal the things, and he rolls out the carpet so he can do the whole ritual of knighting someone, which is listed as a great honor. And he flat-out states, the only way you can earn this honor is by work and discipline. You can't buy it. You can't cheat your way in. This is a great thing that is being done for this kid. Thus, he has now put a goal for these kids to work towards. And the, the stated intent is obvious, that he, the reason he has so many numbers is he's been repeating this recruiting process for a while. And kids tell their friends, and they tell their friends, and he's got a whole recruitment posse. This is the teenage thing. The reason I say this is also stupid is because he's not going full tilt with it, which is a good thing because that would be horrible. That would be Fight Club. But you remember one of the core points of that? the disenfranchised. A lot of teens, especially in the late 80s, Reaganomics, anybody, were having that whole problem of disenfranchisement. Not really feeling attached to anything, not really having an identity of their own. And this is something that Fight Club would actually be using, that exact same disenfranchisement that this film was happening towards the beginning of is what Fight Club is all about. I, I hate to keep comparing these two films, but there are some real-life parallels between the two and some undercurrent themes connecting to as well. This this film is not as good as Fight Club, though. I don't want to... Don't Nobody say that. Nobody put that, those words into my mouth. I don't even like Fight Club, and I still would say that. So, he's got his cult, working things out. Uh, because of Raphael being... Raphael, and because of Leo, and the rest being Leo and the rest, Raphael pieces out, and nobody cares and nobody notices until he is on the verge of death and tossed through a window. This is when the film impressed me. I know that sounds strange, but it's been shown consistently that the Turtles are, they're on a different level. They are way better than the Footman Clan. I talked about this uh, back in RoboCop, which uh, looks like it's going to be two weeks ago, according to the schedule. I've already filmed it, obviously. And in that, 
I mentioned the mook mentality, right? You know, 50 guys attack a dude. At some point, it starts to get ridiculous, right? Unless you consider it from the perspective of stamina health. And eventually, you just start to get worn down. Enough people will wear an elite down, unless the elite's level of tech is ludicrously higher than the others. You know, if you're there with an infinite ammo machine gun, then yeah, it doesn't matter how many they throw at you, you're, you're going to just mow them down by just holding down the trigger. But that's the, the, the gap, because if you had a machine gun, you would mow them down until you ran out of clip, which in real life would probably be under 30 seconds. And then you would die as they tear you limb from limb, because now you don't have any ammo left, at least not in the clip. And that's my point. Raphael starts off winning his fight with the others. And there's some good camera work, I want to stress that, as it cuts back and forth between them and just lightly exploring and just having fun and being silly and zany and Raph is getting beaten to death. This is the kind of thing I like. And this is, I think, this works well for me. The, the cuts back and forth between them just having fun and playing with the symbols and Raphael um, dying. And the reason he's dying is because of the numbers thing I mentioned earlier. So that makes sense. Then he gets thrown through, and now there's only three of them, and they have to cover for someone. So they start fighting the foot, and they start winning, and they keep winning, and they keep winning. But the, you can tell, once again, they start to get wound down. Then Casey shows up to help provide support, but once again, he's just one dude with a thing who's a vigilante who... God, we don't even get a backstory for him in this film, don't we? It's probably a good thing, considering considering the other backstories. So, you know, he, he helps a bit. But again, there's just more foot and just more foot. And eventually it's like, okay, we've got to retreat. And they, they beat a tactical retreat. And the only reason they get away and are not immediately followed and then pursued and then beaten is because the cops show up and Tatsu says, all right, let's peace out. We don't want to be seen. That's it. That's the only reason. So that actually makes sense. And it's a good fight scene overall. It's, it's actually more like three fight scenes kind of strung into each other. And, of course, Michelangelo playing with the nunchuck, who is pretty amusing. I'll go ahead and give you that. <clears throat> so, this is interesting. What happens next is they retreat to the farm. And they just, they just peace out. They're like, okay, we need to recover. Donatello bonds with Casey. I actually like the game they play. They have to insult each other back and forth in order in the alphabet. So if I say you are uh, A something, you have to say B something, and I have to say C something and D something. It's actually pretty clever, and I'll admit as a kid, I did not notice that until they called attention to it. And uh, so we insult through the alphabet. Leo is having a vigil for Raphael. And this, again, makes perfect sense. Raphael needs a doctor. Yeah, you already see the problem. And they're trying to get the, the vehicle fixed because, you know, they need to do that, and she's been fired, and there's some really dumb sexual tension between Casey and April, which I don't buy for a millisecond, because neither of the actors sells it at all, and they don't even get past the point of antagonizing. It's just they're antagonizing to each other, and then the film stops paying attention to that, and then at the end they kiss. Dumb. I'm just, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Uh, if you're going to do something romantic, do something interesting with it, rather than just, they should be together because they happen to be of the opposite gender. Anyways. <clears throat> but this is an excellent sequence. The Turtles lost that encounter, for all intents and purposes. 
And in so doing, they grow closer together, their bonds are strengthened. They come out of it with the best of themselves, in short. They're family. That's what real family does. Not blood family. Real family. I mean, for God's sakes, they consider Splinter a real family. There's, there's no connection there, right? By contrast, over on the other side, Shredder is really pissed off about this, and he expresses this to Tatsu. Tatsu then beats a kid to death. Now, I know what you're thinking. Wait, Lore, in the movie, there's someone in the background that says, He's okay. Yeah, that was edited in. The original intent of the script, directing, camera work, and everything was that Tatsu beat that kid to death. Now, I believe they actually reshot some of the scenes as well, so forgive me on that. But I'm going to point that out because that's what should have happened. There's a word for that. It's called an abusive family. I guess that's two words. But abusive is what I was thinking of. Why is the Shredder so popular? Answer me right now. Why is he popular? Go. I'll time you. Hang on. Whoop, I just got a message from Mom the moment I did that. She knew, and she says the answer is... Ding! Oh, my God! She says the Shredder's popular because he's evil! I'm covering the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie right now, period. After that, I'm not sure, period. How are you? Question mark. I bring this up because we just covered RoboCop, right? ED-09, ED-209. Why was ED so popular? Once again, same answer. The same two things apply here. Number one, he looks cool. He's got the blades. The helmet doesn't work well at all angles, but at certain angles, especially like the, the rear aft kind of a, or the, the side aft kind of angle, it looks really cool. And he's got the claws and his eye. He, he looks cool. But the second reason, at least for this film, is that he is central to the overall message and point of it. <laughs> This is a man who sees nothing wrong with beating a, ch a child to death because of a perceived failure which wasn't. Remember, the foot won that fight. This is a man who has absolutely nothing wrong with building a cult of personality around himself in order to try and build up a new power base and get established as a new crime lord. This is a man who loved a woman loved her so much that he would rather hunt her down to another country and murder her in cold blood than lose her. That's the Shredder. That is everything the family is not. Central theme. <sighs> so Danny's stupid, and uh, Casey sleeps in the truck. My back hurt just watching that. I've actually slept in a vehicle before. It sucks. And Casey finds the club, visits Splinter. And this is when I, I gotta bring something up. I didn't mention it earlier, but God, the flashbacks look terrible. Like, the usage of black as a narrative tool is actually really good. And they do some good things to show it is a flashback. There's visual cues for that. Awesome. But the actual animatronics on the tiny turtles and the tiny sh Splinter are terrible. And there's this scene where he's, like, mimicking... The, the moves, actually he's mimicking karate moves, but let's not get into that, in, in, in the, 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 uh, the cage to follow along with his, and maybe it's a blend, I don't freaking know. It looks terrible. 
I mentioned that this film has aged well. Those are the two exceptions, both flashbacks. Yikes. I would almost rather that they had done something stylized, maybe do like a picture or like a moving picture or literally animated or, God, just have them describe it and have the camera move around the room and do the thing where like the camera's rotating slowly and as he starts talking about the ooze, we see just a few bits of what's left of the container that they kept with them because, you know, and as it keeps going, it says, oh, I've discovered that they could talk and they had an interest in things. And it kind of goes over a radio, which is half repaired. Just things like that instead of that. So KCC Splinter and then just shrugs. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, at this point, whatever. And the family bit comes in. I already kind of mentioned it. Also, the family bit where Casey gives his speech you call this, and you call that family, would work a lot better if the kid earlier had died. Just pointing it out. So, naturally, they, they turn, and uh, the trash compactor's driven in in the middle of fight, for some reason. Casey goes and nicks it, because, of course, the keys are left in a trash compactor in the middle of the street. What? And then we get to the final fight. Well, no, actually, we get to the second final fight. The second to last fight is actually really good. There's a lot of long shots, and you can tell they put a lot of money into this moment. Remember how I mentioned earlier there'd be extended shots of them actually doing acrobatics and fight stuff? There's quite a few of those, and while the whole thing is, is silly and zany, and the music's like, ha ha, they're just crushing everyone, the choreography on display and the actual action of it are probably the best in the whole film. You can tell that they put most of their money and effort into that fight. Good. Then they fight the Shredder. That fight sucks. Because first they go at him one by one, which is stupid. He wrecks them. I will say the one thing they do well is the guy actually physically playing the Shredder has a great deal of, um, oh, what's it called, uh, energy conservation. Very quick and efficient movements with no excess whatsoever. Just to show how he is keeping himself restrained in his conflict with them. And, of course, he wrecks them. So then they're like, okay, we've got to all attack him at once. Yeah! Which means, naturally, they all attack him one at a time. The one time he starts to lose, this is the part that works for me, is when Leo is actually fighting him and manages to damage him, which naturally leads to him taunting Leo, which leads to, ta to Leo charging in, and Shredder effortlessly wrecking him. And the off chance you missed that theme, it comes up one final time. Shredder says, you should have just attacked me. You would have just lost one, and you would have still overwhelmed me. That's all. No one who has ever actually given a damn about another person would ever say something so flippantly as, You should have just attacked me. Your brother would be dead. But you would have won the encounter. That, more than anything else, really, does showcase the mentality the Shredder has and why he's a horrible human being. Thankfully, Splinter comes in to wreck him in one blow by taunting him. Go figure that that works again and tossing him into the garbage compactor, which, whoops, and he's crushed to death, and he definitely doesn't come back in any future movies. Right? In this film, it is portrayed as death. Let's be clear about that. And the film ends. Hmm. Like I said, a lot of this film was better than I really thought it was, and better than I remembered. It had a few massive gaping holes here and there, and of course, like I said, the flashback sequences were just awful. And why is Danny even in this thing? But other than those minor complaints, I still enjoyed myself. 
I am. Well, hang on. Before I cut off, I just got to say it's better than the Michael Bay one. Anyways, I know it's not the Michael Bay one. I know he was just a producer, but I don't know what else to call it. The 2017 one? I don't remember the year. You know the one I'm talking about. It's better than the modern one. Did you know they're actually rebooting it again? Last I read, which was today, they're actually working on rebooting that sucker again. <sighs> I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts, guys. I'll see you next time. It's cool.